here for the first time. Welcome to Omni. Uh, we have been in uh, a series of sermons called Living Upside Down, uh, looking through Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7, uh, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, preached by uh, Christ himself. However, uh, for, for the next few weeks, we're going to make a switch. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at, uh, as we celebrate this season, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, please find in your Bibles or on your device, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 17. Uh, from uh, verses uh, uh, 1 through 16, you see the genealogy of Christ in Verse 17, it concludes uh, this genealogy of Christ found in verse 1 of this chapter. Uh, verse 17 of that book reads as such. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations is God demonstrating uh, that, that despite the faithlessness and faultedness of Christ, I mean, of man, that God is going to fulfill his great promise of the coming Messiah. If you are his, are his this morning, you are the focus of this perfect plan done through imperfect man for the glory of God. But when, you ask, did Christ or when did God come up with this perfect plan to be worked through imperfect men? First uh, Peter chapter 1, it shines some light on this glorious truth. It says, he, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last days for the sake of you or for you. See, the truth is that in eternity, God the Father planned to send God the Son to save those who were created in his image through and by the power of the Spirit. That before God said, let there be light, and he called the light day in darkness night, God had drew on his mind by sending Christ to save. In eternity, God planned and prepared a people for the coming of his son, who is our only hope. So at Christmas time, we see it is the, it is the fulfillment of God's promise from him to us, that he would give and provide a way for us to draw near to him, that he may be in us and with us through the person and life of Jesus Christ. As we celebrate this Advent season, if you don't know what the word means, Advent simply means the coming. The word itself is not found in the Bible, but it is, but it is said that around uh, the 8th and 19th century that they began to practice this idea of celebrating the comings of Christ. 
that that they would, so for a Christian, when we say comings, we are are referring to the first coming of Christ and also the second coming of Christ. So it's called the first advent or first coming or the second advent or the second coming. Now listen to what I have to say about both of these comings. The advent season is when we as Christians, sons, of his and daughters, we celebrate the first coming of Christ the King, being born of a virgin in a manger, soon to ride on a donkey. But in his second coming, he, Christ the King of kings and Lord of lords, is coming down from heaven to establish his kingdom and rule forever. And if you are here today and you are his child, we believe in both comings of Christ. So during this Advent season, this this, this thing, and refocusing our heart on the true meaning of Christmas and for the eventual return of Christ. Christmas is not about shopping. It's more about expecting and thanking that God, out of his love, decided to send his son to save, and that his son will soon return to save them. all Christians. Or all, so, so let me just clarify some things about Advent. Are all Christians, all local churches, required to celebrate or to observe the day? No. Does observing Advent make you a better Christian? and more acceptable to God? The answer is, of course not. But what it does, celebrating the Advent, it it, it is a good reminder of what the season is truly all about. And that is the greatest value of this Advent time that we are spending as a church and prayerfully in your homes. Omni is releasing Advent scriptures every day on Facebook for your reading, for you really to understand what is the, uh, uh, what is the, uh, what is the beauty and, and how to really, man, to, to really be truly excited about this season that God has provided for us. So with that being said, we want to look over the next few weeks through Abraham, through David, through Isaiah, and Christ himself. But over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how God is going to fulfill his perfect plan through imperfect men like Abraham, David, the prophet Isaiah, and yet how Christ himself will reaffirm not only that he came, but he is coming back. So to fully grasp uh, this idea of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promise, we're going to observe first uh, 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 the book of beginnings called Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So as a child of his, we don't believe in the Big Bang Theory. We believe that a big, bad, and almighty God created the universe with his words, so that what was so that what is seen was made from things that were not seen. 
that God is so big and so bad, he took nothing and made something that we now live in. On top of that, we believe that every person is created in the image of God. So that means we all have inherent value, whether male or female, rich or poor, black, brown, white, smart or not. You are valued because you are created in the image of God. And to top it off, every person in the womb and outside of the womb is also valued and loved by God. That's Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that God has enjoyed man, God has created man to enjoy eternal and sweet fellowship with himself. Sadly enough, in Genesis chapter 3, things go bad really fast. We see in Genesis chapter 3, this serpent disguised as, I mean, uh, uh, the Satan disguised as a serpent, he begins to converse with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they are deceived by the schemes and tricks of Satan, and they they partake of the fruit or of the tree, and then sin enters. Adam and Eve, they willingly defy, disobey, and rebel God, wanting to be like God. So from that moment forward, what is called now the, the fall of man has happened. And, from, and because Adam partook of the tree, it says in Romans 5, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. That is Acts in the Bible where God drives Eve and Adam out of the garden, placing a cherubim there to ensure they would never enter in. But even in the faithlessness, we see the faithfulness of God. How? Because God, first of all, he did not destroy them at that moment. When he told them, if you eat of this tree, surely you would die. So you even see the God being gracious to them. But, but not only does God provide a covering for them, at the same time, God, he proclaims the covenant of grace to come for them through Christ. So we see this in Genesis chapter 3, 15, where God is pronouncing to, to Satan the promise to mankind. He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put hostility. He said, this is God speaking to Satan. I will, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head. But you will strike his heel. What we have here is this, is this amazing promise and prophecy that while God pronounces a curse to Satan, he makes a promise for mankind. This has been called since the, since the, uh, 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 since, uh, uh, the second century, the first gospel of the Bible. 
that God proclaims the gospel for mankind while at the same time pronouncing the doom of Satan. Satan, he believes this so much that we see the first murder in Genesis chapter 4 where it says that Cain, whom in 1 John 3 is said to be uh, 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 of the devil, kills Abel. If God is going, if God's going to produce a seed and offspring to get rid of me, let me kill, let me kill Abel, who I know uh, uh, who he thinks that is. So he kills Abel, thinking that that's the seed that's going to crush him, but it's not. If you read down some in Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says, Adam knew Eve and they begot Seth. And from Seth will come Noah. And from Noah will come Shem. And from Shem will come Terah. And from Terah will come Abraham. Whom God would make theirs Noah to fulfill his covenant and his promise we see in Genesis chapter 12. The seed is preserved through and by the faithfulness of God. Look what, look what the word of God says in Genesis 12, 1 and 3. It says, the Lord said to Abel, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will Bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be, will be blessed through you. <laughs> through you. What you have to notice up front is this divine, of, of this divine assertion found in three verses where God says, I will. I will, I will, I will, I will. And that is so important because at this time, Abram is 75 years old and Sarah is 65 years old. And they'll say, well, how in the world are, we gonna are you going to do this, this thing through us? Well, they have to know that God is able to do whatever he promises. So you have, you have the age thing with him. But also when it comes to Abram, God in the same, in the same verse, he calls him out to leave his country, leave his people, and to leave his father's house. This personal sacrifice Abraham makes at the word of God, just by the word. He asked for no sign. God said, go, and he leaves. I'm not telling you where you're going. I just, as you go, I'll show. And Abram takes God at, at his word, the same word, again, that creates something from nothing. Abram believes. He leaves everything for God. By the way, 
This idea of forsaking all must remind us of the gospel call to all of us. See, it's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37, where Christ says, The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Christ says, For whoever wants to save his life, uh, his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. The gospel calls for us to rest on the hope of the word of Christ. Nothing else and no one else. So we see Abram, he, he heeds the call of God. He's invited to give up all for God who owns all and can do all. The truth is Abram needed to leave what was natural for God to do the supernatural. And this supernatural work that God would do would simply not benefit Abram. It would benefit all. I have, and I want to be clear when I say this, God's commands are hardly ever accompanied with reasons, but they are always accompanied with promises and provisions. Either expressed or understood, we know that God is able to do all things. And it's for him and through him and to him are all things done for the glory of God. Abram leaves. God meets him. Abram leaves Chaldea and he travels to Canaan, we see in verse 7, where it out of obedience to God, verse 7 says, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. God, in verse 1, calls him to go, and he will show, out of a big land, and now his offspring, it says. And by this time, y'all, everything is going good. Abram leaves. He's trusting God. But if you read in verses 10, 12. We don't get out of the chapter and we see the faithlessness of Abram. In chapter uh, uh, 12, there's a famine in the land of promise. So he didn't travel to this land where God, where God says, no, this is your land. No, he gets there and all of a sudden a famine pops up. So God, I trust you, I get to the land, and now there's no food, no water. And so Abraham, he starts tripping. And what God wanted Abraham to experience in the midst of famine was this, to see whether or not Abram would have confidence that God is able to provide even in the midst of famine. See, a famine cannot stop God. It simply magnifies God's ability to provide. Here's a man who traveled over 500 miles over God's word, and when a famine comes, he goes a tripping. And that same verse, the Bible says that he goes down, he leaves the land of promise, he goes down to Egypt, and now he's about to lie. 
to his wife and or about his wife. Y'all, look at, the, look, look, at, look at the smooth line and lie that Abram lays on Sarai. In verse 13, so he, so, so, so he knows that Sarai at 65, at 65 is still fine. She still has it going. Everything is still tight and right. And Abram knows this. And he says, wife, I know you bad. So when Pharaoh sees you, he's going to kill you for kill me to, to keep you. So, so, so let's, let's, let's lie some. Verse 13 says, please, this, this, this is Abram saying to Sarah, please say you are my sister. So it will go well for me. Because of you. <laughs> it will go well. Listen, when we stop having faith in God, it leads to sin. And sin always looks out for me, myself, and I. Period. Abram is willing to offer up his spouse just to save his own skin. Will be spared on your account. <laughs> One sin always leads to another, and y'all listen. And failing to love and trust God always leads, always leads to a failure to trust your neighbor and even, or, or, or to love your neighbor and even your spouse. How many times have we stopped trusting God? Start looking out for ourselves and didn't care about anybody else. Sin turns you inward. And you only think about you and nobody else. But that's not the end of the story. Mosey on down to verse 17 of the same text. <laughs> verse 17 says, but the Lord. <laughs> when Abraham messed up, when he showed his faithlessness, the Bible says, God, he stepped in. But the Lord, these, so, 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 but the Lord. So, 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 and if you fast forward to the, to the, uh, 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 to the New Testament, these words can be said, but God. Now, both God, these two words overflow with gospel promise and gospel power. See, if you go back to 1 Samuel 23, Saul was chasing, wanting to kill David. He was hunting down David day and night, trying to kill him. 1 Samuel 23, 14 says, Then David stayed in the wilderness, strongholds, and in the uh, hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul searched for him every day, but God. <laughs> Did not hand David over to him. And Psalm 73 Here's a psalm written by David's worship leader, Asaph. He says in Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God 
is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And the case of salvation and us being justified by God, they, Paul submits these words for our hearing. In Romans 5, it says, For while we were still helpless, that is, unable to make ourselves right with God, at the right time, Christ died for, for the ungodly. That's you and I. Not them, that's you and I. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. Verse 8, but God <laughs> proves his own love in us first that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody glad for God's but God's in your life? See, but in the Bible, what God is on the flip side is a blessing for all of us. These biblical buts, check it out. If not for the but God with David, where would he be in 1 Samuel? If not for the but God in Psalm 73, where would Asaph, a worship leader, be? Without the but God for us in Romans 6, where would we, sinners, Deserving hell be without the imputed righteousness, atoning death, and saving grace found for us in Jesus Christ. His butts prove that he is faithful when we are faithless. Can you imagine a time where you were faithless? Faithless to God and his word? Lacking the faith to, to restrain? And yet God was still faithful to you? The text says, but the Lord struck Pharaoh in his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. See, here's the truth. The acts of Abraham did not, would not, and could not stop the acts of God from fulfilling his promise he made to Abram in verses 1 through 3. And to prove God's faithfulness once again, in chapter 13, Lot and Abram are doing pretty good. Abram gives Lot the opportunity to pick out whatever side he wants to go on. Lot chooses this side that is fertile and fruitful, and he leaves Abram with the other side where he left in Genesis chapter 12. Lot chose the faithful and fertile ground, left Abram with the Barren land, but that was the land of promise that God had given to Abram. And, and, and listen to what God says to Abram in this. In verses 14, he says, The Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west. For I will give you and your offspring forever. That is, a world without end. To all eternity, all the land that you see, 
I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Now, when I, just, when I began to read this and I, as I was studying it, I started tearing up. I became overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God in Abram's life. A man willing to give up his own wife, scheming. Yet God says, Abram, I'm not done yet. I can think about the times I've been faithless to God. And God has said to me over and over, Valentine, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I, I'm not acting because you are faithless, but because I'm faithful, I must fulfill my work through you, but for me. Listen, listen. What, what God is reminding Abram, and this is that Abram, you finite and faithless God. I'm still infinite and faithful. And I will fulfill my eternal plan purpose and plans through you no matter what. And this plan will be forever. And you, and you, you, you can't jack up my plans. No matter how much you mess up, I will still prove myself faithful, not just to you, but to all who will come to know me. And then you found in Genesis chapter 15, this, 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 what God, he appears out of his grace again to Abram, saying, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Here's what God said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be great. In chapter 14, Abram, have just, Abram just defeated four or five kings, and he just withstood this great Temptation from the king of Sodom trying to give him all of these, these monies. And Abram refuses to take the, the, the king's bribe or money. And so God appears to Abram in his vision, simply from this now 85, and Sarai is 75, and still God has not shown up. So Abram does what we all would do. Start suggesting someone else. Well, maybe, you know, the guy, I'm, I'm 85 now, you know, and Sarah, she's 75, and God, Roman says he considered her womb dry. Dry. And he suggests, well, how about my servant in my house? And God says, no. To Abram, it seemed like God had made a promise and that he was doing nothing about it. You drop, you drop down in the verse, in verse 5 it says that, this, that, that, that God calls Abram to go outside to look outward and to look up. And he reminded Abram in verse 6, your offspring will be numerous. This verse five, and in verse 6, we have this, the great verse that Paul quotes over and over, where it says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. But this can also be uh, uh, 
uh, stated, and Abram said, Amen to the Lord. And he put to his account, and he and put it to his account for righteousness. Then happens verse, then happens Genesis 16. God changed, uh, uh, God shows up, reminds them of his, uh, of his promise. But Sarah has the bright idea of, hey, why don't you go to my handmaid, Hagar? She's young, and Abram been Abram. said, okay, I'm going in. From that, they have Hagar. And from this debacle, Ishmael comes. Ishmael is not the promised seed or son, but just a son not promised by God. In Genesis 17, God was again shows up. At this time, he, he changes Abram's name to Abram. Maybe you will get it if I change your name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Yeah, Abram, is, he's jacking up over and over again. And God, he keeps reminding him, oh, Abram, I'm going to hold fast to my promise. But y'all, at the, in the same chapter, Abraham laughs at God. You go over to the next chapter. God shows up again to Abram and Sarah. Sarah overhears them talking about this baby, and she starts to laugh. They're tripping. Oh, but in that same verse, he says, Abram, by this time next year, Sarah will, have, will be birth or will do a child. And in Genesis chapter 21, we see the faithfulness of God. The Lord came to Sarah, to Sarah, as he has said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time, he told him. God, despite the faithlessness of Abraham and Sarah, he stayed faithful to his plan. This should encourage someone in the room that you've jacked up a lot. You've messed up, man, from the flow up. You've, you've just screwed things up. But God changed the act of a faithful God. And for all of us in the room, that should be good news. But here's the truth. Even in the birth of this miracle child, this supernatural child, that Abram and that the Abraham and Sarah has at 100 years old, that's still a partial fulfillment of God's plan. If you fast forward to Galatians chapter 6, I mean, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, look how Paul shines this, this light upon what that really was all about. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, says this, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and although referring to many, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. 
what God promised before he said, light shine. That what he promised as he pronounced to Satan and that promise to mankind, I'm going to have this, this, this offspring of a woman who would be a virgin called Mary, that she's going to one day give birth to a king. That, 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 that one day it says that, 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 that Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush the head of Satan. Yeah, the supreme goal of this pronouncement to Satan and promise to Abraham regarding the seed was the advent, the coming of Christ. Everything hinges on promise, not works, on Christ, not Abraham, not Isaac, or Jacob. On faith, not law, on Christ and not you. That receiving this, this seed and the blessings that flow from receiving Christ is not predicated on you, but God's faithfulness to you for his own glory. To those who trust Christ in his finished work, Galatians 3, 6 to 9 says, you will become the spiritual offspring of Abraham. And let's not forget what he did at his coming. On the cross, Satan bruised the heel of Christ. That is, causing his death. But bruising, most bruises, they heal. Give it time, it's not a thing of, of finality. It's a, it's a, it's a a thing that would heal eventually. On the cross, when you see Christ on the cross, you see, and he dies, Satan thinks he's won. He simply bruised his heel. When Christ raises out the grave three days later, he crushes the head of Satan. He now has, uh, now he has death and sin, the power of sin and death in his head. That the keys of Hades belongs to Jesus. See, those, those Satan bruised him on the cross. Christ and we, according to Romans 16, 20, we join in and crush Satan with our heads. We have no reason to fear an enemy who is defeated. Why are you tripping over Satan? He's a dog with no teeth. A dog with simply bark and no power. Because what? Because, because, because on the cross, the Bible says Jesus disarmed him. Huh? Every weapon you got, I want it now. Every gift you had, I want it now. And I'm going to give it to all of my kids. <laughs> and we walk around here all scared of safe for what? He's crushed. He's done. He's finished. No power. And be like, you see, God knew animal. Him sending Christ wasn't a reaction to Adam's sin. He knew in a perfect world, Adam would still mess up. So Jesus, are we good? When this guy we create, mess up, 
at the proper time, you're going. We have reason to celebrate in this season. Christ came. He defeated Satan, got up from the grave, and has now ascended on high. John 14 says he's preparing for us imagines, rooms filled with stuff. And when he's ready to come back for us, he's going to come and bring us to himself, the Bible says. Where one day, man, we will spend eternity with God so we can join in with John at the end of the book of Revelation. Come. This season. While we pray, enjoy the gifts, enjoy the family. And we should be at the same time saying, come. No gift on earth can satisfy me like you can. Don't care how much they spend, what they do, no one, nothing can satisfy me like Jesus. And if the earth has sense enough to groan for Christ appearing, shouldn't we too? Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Father, we thank you. And we love you. We praise you for this day and this time. While we are in this season, and there's plenty of shopping, plenty of spending money, let us not forget the true reason for this season. You came once to come again. We wait with expectancy for your arrival in Christ's name.